0: Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the UDA Film Club podcast, where each week we invite a member of the club onto the show to talk about a movie of their choosing. Whether that movie be good, bad, topically relevant, or anything in between, it's all on the table. I'm one of your hosts, Jim Saunders, and joining the podcast, as always, is Cynthia Lee. Hello. How have you been, Cynthia?
1: I've been okay. I've been okay. This past week has just been me trying to catch up on the director's or the film we're about to talk about, the director and his yeah. past filmography. Very, so that's, very, it's just been that.
0: Very infamous filmography, very infamous director, Quentin Tarantino.
1: Yeah, so that's yeah. just been my whole week, which is both good and bad, I feel like. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah I, I I tried my best to to see everything in time. The only one I haven't seen thus far is Django Unchained, but... I think I've seen Mm. everything else from him I just had work and uh, yeah yeah especially because
1: I guess we should act well the film that we're talking about is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood directed by Quentin Tarantino I don't think we mentioned that yet but yeah it'll
0: be in the titles (laughs) (laughs) hopefully hopefully you know
1: yeah but it is kind of difficult just because like all his films are two and a half hours to three hours long, and it's right. just ridiculous sometimes.
0: And some of them feel longer than others.
1: Like I every time I wanted to watch one of his films, I had to dedicate a period of like three to four hours of my right. day yeah. just to sit down and watch the film because I, I hate like stopping a film in the middle. Mm-hmm. Leaving to do something else and then coming back and picking up. I I like need to watch the film from start to end with mm-hmm. little no to interruption. no interruptions. Yeah, and that's, so that's hard though. Four hours of my day were just being like, okay, I'm gonna sit down and watch Tarantino films.
0: Right. And especially since, I mean, at least one of them, in my opinion, is like really feels its length. So
1: one of them has an extended cut, and I, was, yes. I think I was talking to a friend. You know friend. exactly what oh, I'm okay, talking cool. about. Yeah, um, I'm just going like, to... Hateful Eight is two hours and 40-something minutes, and I was like, okay, I'll sit down and watch this. And then I it's on Netflix, and like right next to the theatrical release is like the extended cut, and I was like, oh, maybe I should check that out. So all the time, I was like, no, nah, I'll check out the theatrical oh. release. I watched it, I was like, oh, th- how the hell does this thing have an extended cut?
0: <laughs> Okay, I for a second I thought you were going to say you watched the extended oh, cut. No, like, no, no, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, my God. No,
1: no. That one does not need an extended
2: <laughs> cut. <laughs> oh. But I heard
1: um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood might get an extended cut, which, which would be I would I, a I, little I, more interesting.
0: I would honestly enjoy that. Because yeah, over a hateful age. Yeah, and I mean, the length... In most Tarantino films, and again, I still haven't seen Django Unchained, which I think is about two and a half hours long. Yep. <laughs> um, the length in something like Inglorious Bastards, which I think, I think we we both think that's his best yeah. film. Yeah, yeah. It, I think that's it's, his best film. It's about two hours, 40 minutes, but it does not feel like it. Yeah. Like, it is such yeah, an sure. entertaining ride throughout. And I, and I would almost say, for the most part, even though Once Upon a Time in Hollywood does meander and it's, it's a lot slower and mm-hmm. more mature than a lot of his other films, mm-hmm. it, I never really felt the length for that either.
1: Well, it's just like it's more of a daunting task rather than... Right. Like, when I... This is why I tend to sway away from binging TV sh- shows that are like more than four seasons long just because Uh like it's so daunting to be like okay I'm gonna sit down and watch a season that has 20 episodes of an hour so I have to dedicate 20 hours of my life to watch this tv series and just just the thought of that is kind of like really daunting and annoying Uh and that's why I really am usually like a hater of films that are over two hours and then when i decided to go on this task of watching tarantino's filmography all of it before um this film i was slightly annoyed and i was just like oh oh my god there's only two films that are under two hours kill bill is barely under it with an hour fifty-ish.
0: volume one right
1: yeah volume one yeah volume two is over and Mm -hmm. then Reservoir then, Dogs is yeah. 90 minutes. Yeah. Which I think this might be a hot take, but feels a
0: little longer
1: than 90 minutes. I
0: will agree with you on that. Reservoir okay. feel, Reservoir Dogs feels very long. And uh, I mean, obviously it was his first film. He was still figuring out.
1: It has like know, the a
0: technique, but...
1: play structure that I'm just not really down with. Right. <laughs> like a play like structure. But we're not talking about Reservoir Dogs. We're ta- going to be talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's right. Which is his ninth film, according to him, because he doesn't count *Kill Bill* Volume Two
2: and *Kill Bill* Volume
1: One as two separate. He counts it as one, which I mean, I kind of get it because, like, *Kill Bill* Volume Two starts in Chapter Six, so it's like kind of playing into that these should be one continuous thing, but right. There were a lot of people who were really annoyed, where it's like, I had to buy two movie tickets for these two films, hence it is two films, and I kind of felt the same way, because I was like, I had to go get both discs, (laughs) and then watch
0: it. Wait, are they not still on Netflix?
1: No, they're not on Netflix.
0: Oh. I had
1: to go to my library. They were,
0: they were like a year ago when I first... I
1: remember when they were coming off, because, um shout out isaac from film club but i remember him telling me like oh we should watch kill bill because like it's gonna be gone from netflix soon and i was like oh i've seen it already i don't really need to Mm -hmm. um it was like during the school year so i was like i'm not gonna watch that because then i'm gonna be really anxious of watching kill bill 2 (laughs) Mm -hmm. i hadn't seen kill bill 2 i've never seen kill bill 2 until recently
2: Mm
0: -hmm. wait so one one last question before we really get into it have had you seen all of his films up until once upon a time and just decided to rewatch everything, or were there ones that you hadn't? There seen were ones yet? I
1: hadn't, so I hadn't seen Jackie Brown. I hadn't seen Django. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen Kill Bill 2. I hadn't seen a lot. I hadn't seen Death Proof, which is like really annoying. oh to shoot too I still have
0: I still haven't seen that. <laughs> I
1: feel like that might be. I enjoyed it. It's very but it's very weird.
0: <laughs> okay. It's um, part it's, of like a double feature with Robert yeah, Rodriguez. Yeah. Yeah, right? with yeah.
1: the um I'm like forgetting the it's like grave monster or whatever. I for like or Death House presents or something like that. That's like the genre or
2: mm-hmm. whatever.
1: Um and then I hadn't seen Hateful Eight. Grindhouse presents Death Proof. Death Proof is, like, a fun time. (laughs) My mom enjoyed it. Really? (laughs) So, yeah, I was, like, well, she didn't, like, see the whole thing. She, like, walked in in the middle of I was watching it. And the film is, like, split into two parts. And it's pretty, like, gory because it's, like, a grindhouse film. Mm -hmm. And so it's, like, very bloody and gross. Right. And I was, like, really scared that she'd be like, what the hell are you watching? This is, like, (laughs) this is, like, very disturbing. And then by the end, she was like, yeah, I really just wanted to cheer at the end because it has, like, a really satisfying ending.
0: All right. know I'll I'll have to, (laughs) that's funny. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. I I need to still, again, I need to still see that and Django Unchained. But Mm -hmm. once again, we are here to talk about the newest film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood
1: directed by problematic favorite Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, it stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, and Margot Robbie amongst mm-hmm. others and so then a bunch of other people. Yeah. A bunch of a bunch of A-list actors.
1: But like what one thing that Tarantino does with like in the beginning he always like does his opening credits and you can tell who's going to be, like, main and central and who's not because he always does co-starring and then a bunch of other people. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, it's not very important in his other films, but I think in this film in particular, the three main that are, like, oh, this is star... It, like, first starts starring Brad Pitt, or Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, and Margot Robbie as those three. They're not under co-starring though. Everyone else is under co-starring. So uh-huh. I think for me, that really sets up just what this film is about. It's about these three people and their character development and how they interact in this universe that Tarantino has built.
0: Right. It's it's essentially a story about the, the end years, the ending years of the golden age of Hollywood. It's set in 1969. And it's basically... The story of this actor who's sort of losing relevance within, the, within mainstream Hollywood. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, then, the actor Rick Dalton, played by yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio.
0: <laughs> and then it's sort of just a story of him and his bodyguard. Or not not bodyguard it's I don't know what I'm saying like not bodyguard assistant
1: but his stunt double but yes. who is like now his assistant I because I don't know why
0: I said bodyguard <laughs> I know mean what he kind
1: of is a bodyguard in the film in a way cuz like Rick Dalton is such an insecure mess
0: <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
1: I mean this film doesn't really have a story if anything that like resembles a plot it's Rick Dalton's character and his insecurity I think that is like the most plotty thing within this film
2: Mm -hmm.
1: otherwise I think I think this film is more about character development and universe building in a way
0: I think it's interesting the way that Tarantino uses like this idea of like losing or like the loss of relevance because I feel like a lot of that is Well, it obviously plays a part into Rick Dalton's character, but also mm-hmm. just into...
2: It's, it juxtaposes
1: it's, really well with Margot Robbie's character of Sharon yes. Tate, who is this on almost ingenue, this rising starlet. Like, she's almost at the peak. Like, you can see, I think she's like... Well, in real life, a lot of people have accounted that, like, she could have been a star if she mm-hmm. wasn't, like horribly murdered by the manson family
0: which that's another thing is it's it's very much the story of of rick dalton but it's somehow ends up being intertwined with uh the manson family and Mm -hmm. in particular um it's it shares its setting with Well,
1: 1969, so that's the year that Sharon Tate was murdered. How familiar were you with the Manson family murders before watching this film? Um, Because I feel like a lot of people's appreciation of this film probably comes with the fact of knowing a bit about Sharon Tate, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I was aware of the Manson Uh family. I didn't Uh know all the details. What about you?
1: I mean, yeah, I was like familiar with I was slightly familiar with Sharon Tate's work I haven't mm-hmm. like seen her films but like her life and I know a little bit about the Manson murders there's this great podcast called uh you must remember this by Karina Longworth and she does the, like this whole series on the Manson family murders I've only listened to like two parts of it but it's like really good and it really gives you an understanding of the Manson murders and like a, like, the historical background of that murder. Uh But I think... Because, like, from the reactions I've heard from Twitter and just the way Margot Robbie plays Sharon Tate, like, this film is, like... People who enjoyed it are, like, saying this film is, like, an homage to Sharon Tate. Like, what if she... I mean, spoiler alert. At the end... At the end, that specific scene, that's the moment in which... Sharon Tate is supposed to be murdered by the mm-hmm. Manson family, but instead Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio's character Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth intercept the murder or interfere with the planned murder and kill the Manson family members that were supposed to murder Sharon Tate
0: right and sort so of in a in an aloof sort of like it just so they just sort of stumble upon yeah them.
1: yeah, and it kind of goes back to like Tarantino's ten or his Tarantino's enjoyment of revising history.
2: Mm-hmm. I oh, mean, yeah, we talked sure. about
1: his previous works, um, Quentin Tarantino, or er, Inglourious Bastards, uh, spoiler alert to that film. Like they kill Hitler and they kill a bunch of Nazis. Yeah. That does not happen <laughs> in <laughs> history, sadly. Um, and then even in Django Unchained, it's kind of this, without much giving it, it's like a reverse black, it's like a, exploitation western film where this former slave pre- pretty much t- enacts revenge on everyone mm-hmm. and so we like quentin tarantino obviously has this tendency of revising history and so he does the same thing here with sharon tate where he imagines a world where sharon tate was not murdered and is able to live a normal happy life and i think that's like it makes this film one of his more humane <laughs> films, which is set as oh, a real sure. low, low bar, but I think I enjoyed it because of... Because that's how I saw this film. It was like an homage to Sharon Tate. Mm-hmm. Like, one of the best scenes in this film, in my opinion, revolves around Sharon Tate's character. Are you
2: and referring you can to the really, one
1: in the,
0: in the, the, the movie. theater? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: so um, there's a scene where... Sharon Tate stumbles upon the Bruin Theater, which is in somewhere in Westwood, mainly. The only reason why I'm geeking out is because I've been there before, and I thought that was kind of cool.
2: Oh, that's really but, cool, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. But she, like, stumbles upon the Bruin, which is, like, playing the film that she was currently starring in, and she gets really excited, and she's like, oh, my God, I'm in this film. And then she goes in and watches the film, and... Minus, like, the foot fetish thing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Minus that. It's, like, this really enrapturous scene in which you see Sharon Tate, just, like, the innocence and, like, you can see, like, she has this magnetism around her and she's just enveloping and loving Uh people reacting to her movements and her acting decisions. And it's, like... Oh cool, the things that I'm doing are paying off. And the smile she gives, and the look back when like people start laughing or cheering when she beats up someone on screen. And it's like playing with the idea of what if Sharon Tate, who was someone who was just on the cusp of like a really successful career, maybe, just got to live a normal life and be happy and react in the way that she did in that theater. Because we don't even know if that theater scene actually happened to Sharon Tate. Like, that Uh could have been just... Most likely is straight out of Tarantino's imagination. And that's... I don't know. I just think that's, like, a really humane way of portraying someone on screen in a way that Tarantino often does not do.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's in a way, one of the most pure genuine scenes in a Tarantino mm-hmm. movie I think ever. Mhm. And I think it draws upon this whole thing. Well not only is it paying massive respect to Sharon Tate and like what she could have been but also the uh, this idea of like film stardom and like that mm-hmm. just sure. getting to experience that in a theater and everyone's enjoying your work and you're just there with them.
1: Yeah, it's very nostalgic. I think maybe Tarantino wants this time like this idea of Hollywood where people are starring in films and actually enjoying the work that they're doing I guess or like understanding the idea of stardom that first I think to him may not be so present today
0: yeah I think it's it's so telling when you have this film that is debuting and it has brad pitt and leonardo dicaprio and margot robbie who were like the some of the some biggest, of the biggest stars biggest in hollywood ever and it's an original movie with
2: mm-hmm.
0: a, a, a huge budget huge huge budget. B- huge budget incredibly talented people behind it uh-huh. and it debuts next to the lion remake king? of the lion yeah. king yeah and gets number two to the lion king And I think it's really interesting also because Tarantino has had sort of a, a bad history with Disney because when, uh, do you know about the controversy that happened with, I think it was at some theater um, and they refused to play uh, the hateful eight because Mm -hmm. they wanted more spots for, or Disney specifically wanted more spots for the force awakens. (laughs) And, (laughs) which is it's kind of a funny story because you can you can view it as him just being bitter like oh they didn't play my movie or whatever I mean against Disney but I don't
1: Tarantino is a problematic favorite (laughs) so like there aren't yeah yeah but
0: I I think it's it's viewed as less of like that sort of mindset is kind of present in this movie but it's not with a sense of bitterness it's more of a sense of it's, well, I think it's, it's like it's bittersweet i think it's not accidental for the scene where where rick dalton is uh-huh. rehearsing his lines next to the little girl who oh my god is talking Him about and,
2: yeah I how who's reading
0: sequence. the whole thing or she, um, the little girl is um an actor she's like in this the scene, she's an actor. She's
1: not an actress. She doesn't like the word actress. That's right. That's right. That's
0: right. <laughs> she's an actor who is going to be filming this scene with with Rick Dalton, and they're um, they're just like, you know, sitting down next to each other. They're reading, and then the little girl is reading this biography about Walt Disney and is saying mm-hmm. about like, oh, how, how much of a visionary he was, and this and that. I think. That was both a reflection of Tarantino's own experience uh-huh. with with Disney, and also just a statement on uh, the state of Hollywood in general, and sort of the collapse of like the golden age.
1: Well, yeah, even on with the continuation of that scene, like in contrast with the little girl reading that Disney biogra- autobiography, biography. I don't know, whatever. Like it, Rick Dalton. Next to her was reading this old western book about a cowboy who, after getting injured, was not the same after. Mm-hmm. And that that could be a commentary on well, after the with the rise of Disney came the fall. Like of. Hollywood was not the same anymore. Ho- mm-hmm. Hollywood wasn't the old Hollywood in which Quentin Tarantino fell in love with, it became this Walt Disney mega corporation uh, empire, essentially. And I think this film is a way for Tarantino to kind of go back and celebrate all the things he specifically loved uh-huh. in, um, of Hollywood, because I've read a lot of criticism about how his version of Hollywood is very transgressive and um, all that sort of of jazz that and problems that come with a Tarantino film every time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one premieres, but yeah. Yeah. For me, at least this Tarantino film, this film, as much as it is an homage to Sharon Tate, it's also like Tarantino just like yearning for this old Hollywood that he so much fell in love with and probably what led him into films.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, it's 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 very much his most easily his most personal film. Mm-hmm.
1: It's also like oddly one of his more grounded films, I would say. It's and I think it's one of his slower films.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, definitely one of his slower. But that's not necessarily a negative. It never. No, feels... I don't
1: think it is a negative because it has like kind of the vignette thing of Pulp Fiction going on, but it. Feels slow like Jackie Brown yeah which for me Jackie Brown I enjoyed Jackie Brown like these two films feel so similar that if I had a I do have a list of (laughs) which are my favorites but like these two are very much in the same area like one day like Jackie Brown could I could feel like Jackie Brown is better than this film and another day I feel like this film could be better than Jackie Mm -hmm. Brown because it kind of goes off the same idea of like the, both of those films are about character development, in my opinion.
2: Right. Like right. Jackie
1: Brown, you're kind of understanding who um, Jackie Brown is and um, Max Cherry and. Who's Samuel L. Jackson's character's name? Like Orlin or something like that? Oh, shit. Olin or something like that?
0: O- or Del Roby.
1: Or yeah. Yep. It's like kind of character analysis, like like understanding their psyche and i think this mm-hmm. film is very similar and this film also l- does not have a lot of that quick witty dialogue that many Quentin Tarantino films right. of previous have
0: i think it actually does share the most in common with Jackie Brown with them mm-hmm. both being i think i think probably again yeah, the, the the two most grounded of mm-hmm. his filmography. And with the plots... The plot in Jackie Brown is is more important, I'd say, mm-hmm. than the plot mm-hmm. in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But it There's still no f-
1: plot in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. But it still features these characters that are all really well-developed, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. You said you really liked Jackie Brown, right?
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's one of my favorites. And like before
1: I we started recording this podcast, you kind of were still deciding upon how you felt about this film. So I'm like, because I think this film is very similar to Jackie Brown. So I was wondering like, what felt different about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as opposed to Jackie Brown? Because I feel it, because I think Jackie Brown is very different from a lot of Tarantino's work. And Uh I feel the very same way about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's very different from say something like an Inglorious Bastards or Django. Um, even though they're both in this revisionist history category thing that Tarantino seems to be, enjoy doing.
0: It's one of those things where I ha- I feel like I had to think ab- I have to think about it more and I have to see it again. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't see a good bulk of his filmography until even like after <laughs> um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: after I saw this.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I feel like now that I have more of his films in context, mm-hmm. just in context of his whole career, I think I need to come back to it. But like, even though I really, really enjoyed watching this film, uh, it almost felt directionless, and I wasn't mm-hmm. sure how intentional a lot of that was.
1: What made it feel directionless? Because I just feel like I can point out specific things, but I really enjoyed this film, so I de- didn't really feel that way.
0: No, and 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 that's that's why I feel conflicted because it, it's not like I really just do not like it. I really enjoyed it, but I, I, I don't know. It's it's really hard to describe. Also.
1: I mean I didn't I probably didn't feel as much of it as you, but like the word directionless. I think that's a really good word to describe maybe what Tarantino might have thought about or that idea you kinda think about with Stardom, especially if we put it into context of Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth
2: uh-huh.
1: Booth's character, where they are at this point in their career where everything kind of feels directionless. They don't know where to go next. Like the moments in Hollywood are so fleeting and so quick that right. they have to grasp onto anything. And uh-huh. I mean, that's like it that literally is happening with Rick Dalton's character of right. him who he was this big TV he was the star of this TV show and now he's just grasping onto whatever guest cameo he can make. Uh-huh. And then for me, Cliff is literally like his success is dependent on Rick Dalton's success. So if Rick Dalton is not right. getting roles, Cliff Booth is not gonna be able to be a stunt double.
2: Uh-huh. And so did, for I me, actually... it's like
1: that literalness might be a what Tarantino is talking about or trying to convey. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh-huh. This is off
0: topic, but I did enjoy the dynamic in their relationship and sort of the codependency that they had with each oh, other. Well,
1: I like Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt are just they're firing on it's so they, fun yeah, yeah, they to are watch firing them. Cylinders. It's they, just fun to watch them and it feels like you wanna hang out with them. Right. I mean DiCaprio is like acting acting like Uh (laughs) um I read this article that was slight contrasting their careers and in it it was talking about how Leonardo DiCaprio is very much a character actor and everyone people think that he probably wants to do like a Jack Nicholson where like he gets to be all over the toppy and crazy and whatever when he acts and then like Brad Pitt is the exact opposite where he's this very laid all his character characters are these like laid back chill characters and putting them together in this film it like really you can really see that contrast of Mm DiCaprio is very much acting and Brad Pitt is like radiating slash reacting
2: yeah yeah
1: (laughs) and it's it's just a fun dynamic to see because you see this really I'm going for it at performance and then this very I'll just react to your performance and create my own type of charisma and magnetism.
0: I think that also reflects the the purpose of each character in the story. Because mm-hmm. like you, like, like you said, Cliff Booth is very much like he, he is directionless without,
1: but he doesn't care, but right. he is where
0: yeah. um, he's, he's Rick, just along for the ride.
1: Yeah. Where Rick Dalton is literal, like He cares. lot Mm -hmm. that he is not relevant anymore Mm -hmm. and yeah as you mentioned cliff booth is along for the ride hence okay what is your opinion about this because i was reading on like people were because first it's a two hour 47 minute film but a lot of it is driving
0: i actually really really enjoyed those scenes i think a lot of that a lot of that it not in a bad way but it felt like showing off like, oh. like like Tarantino yeah. just being like, Hey, this is what I've done because he the production design of this is incredible.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. And I think Tarantino does a great job in this film, just universe building. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the same feeling I got when I first watched Pulp Fiction where I was like, Okay, yeah, LA does exist, but like it feels like Tarantino's LA and I can feel like, Oh, over there is the restaurant that got shot up over there is, or I'm talking about Pulp Fiction, but that restaurant that got shot up or the, the car dump area where Mr. Wolf helps them get rid of the car or Mm -hmm. the place, the apartment where they shoot up those kids or, uh, the, the diner. Like I can feel that map of LA, that type of LA in my head. And it, I felt very similar feeling watching this film where I was like, oh, that's where the Bruin is, that's where the um Sharon Tate's house is, that's where Rick dolan's right. house is, that's where the drive in theater that Cliff Booth lives in is how.
0: It has such a good sense of geography mm-hmm. and, and like that's because the camera just lingers on for so long. And I think I mean obviously, you know, it's showing out the production design, but it's also just grasping on to whatever, like, just...
2: Mm-hmm,
1: the end, Yeah,
0: yeah. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, like, grasping on to the Hollywood that Quentin Tarantino right. really enjoyed and really wanted the direction of Hollywood to go to rather than what it, I guess it is now, because I'm pretty sure Tarantino has some strong opinions mm-hmm. about how um, the movie industry has gone. <laughs> But yeah, those driving scenes definitely feel like just trying to grasp on to all those like fleeting moments
0: Mm -hmm. of Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And not just the driving scenes; it's,
1: I mean, the whole film in general. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. No, for for sure, for sure. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about this being either his his second to last or his last film?
1: So he said he always has had this thing where it's like his tenth film is his last. So this won't be it will it's the one before and then I heard I read somewhere like if he gets offered Star Trek that won't count (laughs) as his 10th film and so he will create another original film to be his Mm 10th how I feel about it I don't know mainly because I have a I feel like a lot of people who Enjoy like, super enjoyed Tarantino's work, grew up with Tarantino. I did not grow up with Tarantino. Yeah. He is not someone that revolved, was in my radar until maybe two or three years ago. I did not grow up with his films, mainly because his first film came out in 92, and also because all his films are ridiculously, ridiculously gory and just...
0: Yeah, I was,
2: I was never allowed to, to watch any. Me, when, if I, when I was thirteen, grew up. yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I don't really have a personal attachment to his films. Even rewatching like his films, I mean, they're very exciting and they're very fun to watch. But I don't think I'll miss him, <laughs> in a way that a lot of people will, just because yeah. I don't feel that personal attachment to him quite yet. You know, mm-hmm. that I don't have, I can't say, oh my God, Pulp Fiction influenced my way of thinking. I just can't because I didn't watch that film right until maybe three years ago.
0: I think, well, uh, well, I've read a lot of reviews that say that they think that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is very much just the culmination of everything that he's ever made. For that reason, um, they have this huge personal connection to this film, but well, I don't know. Like
1: I think it's definitely a more literal, because through all his films are like splattered with all his like cultural obsessions and everything that he loves. Like *Reservoir Dogs* has a bunch, *Pulp Fiction* has a bunch, like all his films have a bunch of homages to different little things
2: mm-hmm.
1: of that are relevant to cinema or what he liked about cinema. Cause he's like a huge nerd with cinema. And I think once upon a time in Hollywood is just a literal manifestation of that obsession. Right. Where like in inglorious bastards, it's like, it's a story about killing Nazis that he can sprinkle in, sprinkle in, um, the Shoshana scene. I'm like blinking on what that is a reference to well, the especially with the um, in Inglorious Bastards*, there's this scene where she is like, "Fuck you, you're gonna get killed by a Jew to all the Nazis," and that's uh-huh. like clearly like this homage to *Wizard of Oz*, and it's like those little things uh-huh. that have always been there. And I'm not a very well versed in little cinema tidbits, and so. A lot of the stuff and say Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, which I have not read about. They kind of flat flew over my head when I was a kid, and but Inglourious Basterds one is like one of the f- few references that I can get, mm-hmm. and I feel like this is just a manifestation of all those references. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: It, it's interesting that this is such a different film for Tarantino, but mm-hmm. also how I can't I can't see anyone else directing it because it's so oh I can yeah in everything that is has he has clearly influenced him for his entire career
1: Mhm. yeah for sure definitely
0: Mhm. yeah no because for a while a lot of my conflict was like
1: I've seen a couple conflicts one it's very the one that I've seen the most is like it's just it feels like a mismatch of everything just put together into mm-hmm. a film. Yeah. Because definitely if we see it as oh, this is a literal manifestation of all of Tarantino's favorite things about cinema, and we, he's just putting it all in together into a pot and mixing it together to make a story that mm-hmm. doesn't really have a story. <laughs> That's <laughs> one complaint. But the other one. I've seen is the last 20 minutes of this film where it's just because this is one of Tarantino's less violent films. It's no, it's by far up to those last 20 minutes. Yeah. Is his most soft, not soft. It's just not non-violent, other than uh-huh. maybe Jackie Brown.
0: Yeah. Jackie Brown has almost like, None of it is the, nothing,
1: and then like, but even when violent. there is something, yeah. the camera moves away.
2: Mm-hmm. But Which a is lot of people
1: said that the last 20 minutes kind of caught them off guard.
0: That's how I feel, too. Okay, because okay. I okay, I, I was really enjoying the film up to that point, and I was well, I wouldn't necessarily say caught off guard, I was just sort of left. Uh, I wouldn't say unsatisfying, unsatisfied either. I was just sort of left feeling kind of cold at the very end.
2: Mm-hmm. Because,
0: like, from the start of the third act, you see all the shots of, of all these buildings in Hollywood and the lights are turning on because it's like the nightlife and it's setting mm-hmm. up where everyone is on this particular night. And you know mm-hmm. when that starts... A that shit's gonna go down, but B that this is the night that Sharon Tate was murdered, mm-hmm. and so like I was like I was anticipating like something something to happen. Mm-hmm. I knew something would happen, but did then... you think
1: he would kill Sharon Tate?
0: No, no, okay. I really didn't think that would happen. But okay, cool. Did you?
1: Oh no, I never thought it because. I I try to avoid as much reading about it as possible. But one thing I heard it was like, was that this is another revisionist history film. Uh-huh. So I just kind of assumed that she would not die.
0: Right. I, well, and I feel like it would almost be kind of disrespectful. The, oh the yeah. I, do think. I yeah. also
1: read like yeah. um, Sharon Tate's daughter was like, oh, this film, because. <laughs> The Sharon Tate's daughter was like, oh, this film is very respectful of my mother and her legacy. And a lot of people were worried that Quentin Tarantino with Charles Manson, with Sharon Tate, would make a very bloody depiction on one of the things that Sharon Tate is now sadly known for.
0: Yeah. I think that's something that's interesting with Tarantino because, you know, he makes these gruesome, violent movies that you know are often just super bleak but he also can have these moments where you know he could be he could show a lot of respect to like real people um but but at the same time there is like his infamous use of, like, the N-word and, and stuff like that that make word, him a problematic This film figure, doesn't
2: have the N-word. Which I
0: was so happy about. I was I know, so happy shame. about that. Like, if I had heard that once, I, I would have been, been, like, been
1: oh. like, oh. Yeah, it doesn't have the N-word, and it doesn't have him in it.
0: Bless. Yeah, no, Snaps. No cameo.
1: No cameo. I no hate cameo. when he, I think every time he comes into his own films, it's by and far Probably the worst parts, like the worst except, part, for res, except for his Reservoir Dogs cameo.
0: The the worst part of Pulp Fiction...
1: Is him. Is literally
0: <laughs> combining him and the N-word, and you're yeah, like, oh, God.
1: Because throughout the film, Samuel L. Jackson's character is probably the only one that says it. Yeah. Up until then, and he uses it very sparingly as well, so it kind mm-hmm. of just... I mean, it's still kind of weird and annoying because Quentin Tarantino and um, Avery... I forgot who it is. Roger Avery. Roger Avery. They're both white, right? Yeah. So it's still, like, problematic in that sense because a white person wrote this dialogue for someone to say. But, right. like, once you see him he has a very distinct voice. It's very high pitched and he just walks in and he's just like, bing, 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 with the Yikes. internet. And yeah. his character is so irrelevant. Mm-hmm. He like, the only reason why he's necessary is because he links to Mr. Wolf, which is a really cool, fun character. I like him, right. but literally that scene could have been, Oh, I'm storing your bloody card. That's weird. Um, you need to call someone. He could have set, put that in like one line without right. any problematic words. Yeah, he's a problematic fave. That's what, yeah, l- literally what I call him because he has so, so many. What? Why? I. Why I the understand. fuck he just said that? I understand. He has so many of those, but at the same time,
0: I understand, but also <laughs> can, cond- but also no, 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 but also condemn. The use of the word in something like the hateful eight hate because of the time period, but it is so hard to hear that word. Oh, and I, I especially feel like in he does movie.
1: not. You are gonna. Oh, Django Unchained is like off the charts on that, and I enjoy Django Unchained, but there are times in which I, it, hmm, I don't like it, yeah. and I. But I'm trying to imagine, Pulp Fiction can go without that word completely. Mm -hmm. Um, and Django Unchained, it could be very much less. But I kind of understand why he might use it. But it's still, like, very bad. I don't like it. Like, he can just, ugh. That's one of the things I don't like about his films is just his repeated use of the word and his uh-huh. repeated thinking that it is okay for him to do it.
2: Yeah, I, and so in uh, an interview, he's... And so that was the he's... first
1: thing I thought about when I came out of Once Upon a Time on Hall. I was like, yeah. bless, you are not in this film and you did not use that
0: huh. The <laughs> Best aspects of the movie right there <laughs> is that those aren't in it. <laughs>
1: well, I was like, because I already mentioned early in the plot, I had watched his whole filmography before this film and I was just so fed up with that right because there's an interview that i listen or i didn't listen to like there was a snippet of it of like he justifies his use of the n-word is because he was surrounded by a bunch of he was surrounded in black culture and so when he was young he would hear that word being firing fired around him all like that specific word was used a lot in his growing up, so he always mm-hmm. thought, oh, I'm, it's okay for me to use it because the people around me encouraged it and the people around me used it.
2: Be- yeah, I,
0: yeah. I, I read another interview with him where he kind of justifies it also as, like, no word should ever have that power, but it has that power for a reason. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah, and then, so. well, another justi- yeah, another justification is, like, that word has that power, so I use it a lot to negate the power. Because I I was in this linguistics class, and it was about swear words, and one of the things she was talking about is some people feel like, or there's two versions of the N-word, the one that ends with an A and the one that ends with the E-R, and she was saying that some people feel that Saying it with the A is like reclaiming the power of it in a way, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. But I still don't think Quentin Tarantino has the right. I just don't. Yeah. I just
2: don't. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's mm. yeah.
0: It's it's very 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 questionable. Hmm. But <laughs> where were we?
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Once oh. upon a time in Hollywood doesn't have it. It's great yeah. because of that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and
1: that kind of goes back to, like, Tarantino. This film is very lacking in Tarantino's signature speedy dialogue.
2: Uh-huh.
1: In every, almost every Tarantino film, you always have this one moment in which some character spews out something, and it's this very long and intense monologue of sorts. And I don't think that happens a lot in this film.
0: It's very much... Or it
1: doesn't happen in this film.
0: Things are just let be, and it's it's so in the moment in compared mm-hmm. to in comparison to the rest of his films.
1: Mm-hmm. Which kind of just goes back to the point that this film is very different than the yeah. rest of his filmography, yeah. Yeah. and it, I don't think in a bad way. I really enjoyed this film. I walked out of it. It's one of their funnier films. <laughs>
0: for sure, for sure, yeah.
1: It's not my favorite Tarantino film, but, I mean, there's just w- so much within
0: it. Were you anticipating more to happen after that last whole scene of bloody violence?
1: I actually, I enjoyed the last shot a lot. Because if you go back to what we said in like the beginning of the podcast where if it, this is this homage to Sharon Tate. I almost cried because it was just like,
2: wow. yeah. it was
1: just like Rick Dalton is this character who is so desperate for a shot.
0: And then you get and to like hear... a new
1: shot and a restart. And then you you hear Sharon Tate who is not, who's not dead. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, great. Sharon Tate can wake up the next. In this world, in this fairy tale, Sharon Tate wakes up the next day and just continues on her life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and it's a very sweet moment
0: I think retrospect, like in thinking about it now it's it's almost like begs the question like what like what if what if she did like well obviously like what what if she had been kept alive, but like what if then? would this, you know, the state of Hollywood be the same, right?
1: Yeah, maybe. That, I can. hmm, I just thought of it as, just because the way Margot Robbie plays Sharon Tate, I thought she was just really magnetic and Mm -hmm. very innocent and you can really feel the I am almost at the starlet levels that I want to be. I really, like, you can very see how Excited, she is to be an actress and to s- know and understand that she is making a difference, or she is enacting change, or whatever. Right? Mm-hmm. It's it's just exciting on a human level to s- think, oh, this this woman who, although she was an actress, and act- celebrities are often different than say you and me. It's there's still something very human and being able to be like oh, the person who is the target of this horrific murder that everyone knows about in our history textbook, just being able to see visually, like maybe what if she did live another day? What if she gets to just be a normal person and
2: uh-huh.
1: and not have her life ended so horrifically? I don't know. I just thought that idea just touching... Because the Manson murders are just were just this random and horrific thing
2: mm-hmm.
1: that it was just fucking messed up, and just to see that the target of something so messed up can live another life,
2: mm-hmm.
1: albeit through this film and through this fairy tale, it was touching
2: I, I and feel so like I kind
1: of yeah, I kind of just liked that drone shot kind of going. At the end, it was this drone shot of you seeing her interact with Rick Dalton and just living a normal life.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I I feel like I'm gonna have to definitely see it again.
1: Yeah, I think if anything, there's also I don't want to say it's like a super fairy tale, but like even the title of the film—it's like "Once Upon a Time." Dot. 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 In Hollywood, this is a fairy tale this is what tarantino wanted out of hollywood and sometimes i mean we can be critical of tarantino's own mind but sometimes it's just like enjoy his whatever is vomiting out of his mind
2: Uh because
1: like we said he's a very problematic favorite (laughs) yeah or at least in my eyes he's a problematic favorite
0: (laughs) no i i agree i i definitely agree with that yeah. I I feel like my, I feel like just through the course of this podcast. My, I feel my like I'm like trying is. to
1: tell you that like I really liked this film.
0: No, I mean, <laughs> Which I, I don't
1: I don't want to be like
0: I I don't want to give
1: off the impression that was like you didn't like this film. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't
0: want you to to feel no, I don't <laughs> want you to feel bad about it. Like and I don't think you're necessarily trying to persuade me, but I think I need to reevaluate it because I mm-hmm. for because I didn't
1: because I can definitely see why the last 20 minutes are a little, uh, on the bad side. Because, I mean, you literally see a girl's face smashed.
0: It's, it's, it's like, and it's kind it presents of itself out of nowhere. As, it presents itself as, as like funny, this, as like this, well, it's like the film, I mean, the film is like a, is like a comedy, but uh-huh. it, the whole thing presents itself as this human story about mm-hmm. these flawed people.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's, it's incredibly grounded in the same way that Jackie Brown is. And that's why I like Jackie Brown a lot is because mm-hmm. Jackie Brown doesn't ever really divulge into huge, catastrophic graphic violence mm-hmm. like that. Um, and it was just about its characters. Mm-hmm. But, and so I appreciated in the same sense that it, this was just a story about, about the characters Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth. Mm-hmm. And just their day-to-day lives and how they're dealing with it. with the, Their fleeting stardom. The fleeting stardom and the the loss of relevance mm-hmm. um, of their careers in the golden age of Hollywood. But the last 20 minutes, when it explodes into...
1: A blood a, fest.
0: A, a blood fest, it's like it's felt like it's sort of it lost came out of, yeah. And it's a scene that's I feel like enjoyable on its own in the sense where it's like well, oh I, god I, like that was I had people
1: was, in my theater cheering,
0: <laughs> I, which was, I don't. It was I don't know gruesome, how it but feel
1: about that because like you don't want to cheer while you're watching this young girl <laughs> getting her face smashed. Right,
0: like it was it was freaking brutal, but I mean
2: mm-hmm. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I just feel I don't like... Think, for me, I expected some violence from Tarantino.
0: Yeah, no, I I expected something to happen. I just didn't feel... I just didn't, like...
1: But also, it, like, as much as it feels wrong to say, I did feel this sense of, like, oh, my God, they're killing the Manson family. <laughs> These, like... I mean, the Manson family thing is a little difficult to talk about because Charles Manson like really just fucked these girls up like Mm -hmm. these really impressionable girls up just throughout the mindset and what he was preaching and so it's hard it's hard to analyze that but at the same time just on like a very surface level it felt good (laughs) that like these people who just wanted to who just have this thing of i'm going to kill sharon tate
2: He's it's getting
1: beat up i don't know that feels so weird to say
2: it
0: no i i agree like it was it was good it was a it was a great scene just by itself but then mm-hmm. it ends and then the movie kind of just ends there i mean other than like um other than rick going up to the going up to meet sharon tate Mm -hmm. And then it just kind of ends. But I didn't. I expected to feel more. You think the ending is too abrupt? I think it's. I think it's too abrupt.
1: I think the ending is kind of. I mean, it's kind of similar to how *Inglorious Bastards* ends, where like *Inglorious Bastards* has this huge burning down scene, and at the end, there's like this ten-minute epilogue of him just dealing with Christoph Waltz's character. Right. But but I I I can get that I can understand. I just that. felt
0: like, I mean, that was built up incredibly well throughout *Inglorious Bastards*, and I felt mm-hmm. like the violence here was so comically just out there. And mm-hmm. which a lot of, I mean, in something like *Kill Bill*, that's what in in, in oh, *Inglorious Bastards*. Yeah. That's
1: obviously they like become the, cartoonish. The violence what, becomes cartoonish in a be, way where it feels okay.
0: Yeah. But mm-hmm. given the grounded tone, I don't think it...
1: Needed the ending? No, or not like... that it
0: didn't need... It just didn't feel right. It didn't yeah, feel... It yeah. was so seamlessly intertwined. And that's, I think, maybe a problem with with why, or why I agree with people that say, like, this movie sort of throwing a lot at the wall and seeing what sticks, kind mm-hmm. of. And I appreciated that also... This is sort of another point. But I appreciated that he was telling a a slower, more grounded, more mature story. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it... Okay, did you want more out of Sharon Tate's character? Because Sharon Tate honestly didn't feel like much of a character to me. She did
1: not feel like a character to me. I, For me, Sharon Tate was... It's the presence. That's what it was for me. It was mm-hmm. like she's just this we know where this kind of direction of this story is heading to, and she's just this presence and this symbol of hope and this symbol of, yeah, like a symbol of hope that's just kind of always there. That was her for me, mm-hmm. and maybe it's just because I really like Margot Robbie's performance in this
0: Oh so do I, I think I think and all I the actors
1: really do a think Tarantino lands it with that theater scene and for me that scene just doesn't really leave my mind so i don't forget her because i did you read that interview where some person interviewed him who was like why doesn't margot robbie's character have more lines and then he kind of like he gave a tarantino-esque response was like i don't fucking know that doesn't matter to me (laughs) kind of attitude response and then, apparently, like, Margot Robbie had to, like, clean it up a bit. But, I don't know, because...
0: Because, I, I mean, I think...
1: I don't think it's important that she's a fully realized character, even though I feel like she is, in my sense. I think you get so much out of her
0: that one in that one scene. Yeah. And I'll, I'll agree with that, but... Mm-hmm. And that scene was...
1: And then the other that, okay. one where she's partying at the Playboy Mansion.
0: I think the... Yeah. I think the theater scene... It's weird because that theater scene says a lot with so little. Mm-hmm. But this movie is so long and <laughs> meanders that it's sort of... In a way, like, the film is...
1: There's it's one not, it's scene not like, in which I could have gone without, it's and not, I don't know how people would feel about this, but I feel like if there was one scene they'd cut, which I don't, I wouldn't want it to be cut, it's when Brad Pitt visits the mansion, Manson
0: farm. Oh, that think, whole scene to be cut?
1: I think it's a little long. No, I don't think it should be like... The whole scene, like Lena Dunham, does not need to be in this fucking movie. Sorry.
0: Did you see that she tried to kiss Brad Pitt at the <laughs>
2: premiere? I was and like, geez.
1: there was this one Twitter thing where she was like, Lena Dunham is just trying to flex that she was in a movie with Quentin Tarantino, and is just spamming her social media with pictures of him, like her being next to him. But I feel like that scene made might have could have been like shortened. Maybe.
0: Yeah. I think that was that was one of the scenes where I think it that scene is supposed to, to
1: be like oh, look at this Manson family. They're kind of weird.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that was that was definitely, you know, the purpose of of that. And then he's about to leave and then the guy stabs his tire. Yeah, and then he's like, "You know, go fix it," and he like beats uh-huh. the guy up, and it like keeps going, and I think that end part should have maybe been cut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it really did enough, and that's the thing too is, is, it's. But
1: at the same time, like we talk about Tarantino's films being so long, but I can't imagine different scenes just being cut entirely, even right. like when I was going through his whole filmography, like. Something like Hateful Eight is very long, but I just can't figure out what I would, like, I would cut.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: feel like a lot of films that feel long, I know exactly what is not needed, and, or I have a sense of what is not needed and what is.
0: I just think it's really interesting that Margot Robbie in, or as Sharon Tate in that one theater scene, is, like, the most efficient storytelling
2: yeah. in
0: the entire film and the rest is just is not, not very efficient. not saying that yeah. like there are whole straight on scenes that are unnecessary but there's mm-hmm. so much you right, can trim i you, think there's so much you can trim and it has the same effect kind of and
2: uh-huh.
0: at least in terms of character building which the film is more so going forward than actual mm-hmm. like plot
2: mm-hmm.
0: so i think i think that's that's kind of my big issue with it Mm
2: -hmm. okay
1: yeah totally understandable
0: but again i feel like i need to have certain things in mind upon second watch Mm -hmm. like i i want to view like i want to view the end again Mm -hmm. in in the context of the whole the whole film and see and see how i feel Mm -hmm. i'm actually going to have um, a written review
1: Woo, plug, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so check that out hopefully, on students.washington.edu slash film.
0: Yes, I probably won't end up seeing the film again before I finish up the review, but if you want my initial thoughts of it after this podcast. <laughs> Where ahead. I, like,
1: try to actively sway you into liking the film, <laughs> sorry.
0: <laughs> no, you're, you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. Then, um, yeah, but that'll be up on the site if you want to check the, that out.
1: Woo!
0: Yeah. But um,
1: I I enjoy this film. It's not my favorite Tarantino film by all means, but
0: yeah, um,
1: it's still a very good film.
0: I I agree. I agree. Like I I definitely still really enjoyed it. It's just
2: mm-hmm.
0: I'm seeing all these like five star reviews, and I'm just like I I can't agree. No, no, I can't agree. Uh, no, no, <laughs> I can't
1: no, agree. Best is um, I think we can agree is Inglorious Bastards. Sorry. and glorious bastards
0: i think in my is is the only five-star film he's made yeah same F- sorry follow, pulp
1: fiction but i just followed
0: by to me kill uh bill for me i was gonna say jackie brown and then kill mm. bill and then mm. pulp fiction those mm. are like my top four at least at the I moment i have to
1: go Inglorious bastards kill bill um Django unchained and pulp fiction I don't know, Django Unchained is just oddly dark in a way that I kind of liked.
0: I'll, I'll have to check it but out. But there
1: are I'll definitely, definitely some real shining moments of why I call Quentin Tarantino you know, my problematic fave. Yeah. Because yep. I really like his films, but oh my god, he has done some stuff that just seems unwarranted.
0: Yeah, I've I've seen and read a lot about Django Unchained mm-hmm. in terms of it being super problematic but Mm -hmm. yeah i'll definitely check it out as soon as i can
1: yeah his full longer he's pretty short so it's uh, it's just his
0: films are really long
2: yeah yeah
0: (laughs) which you know given it's tarantino and he knows how to make good long movies i'm i'm all for it
1: i just want him to do like something like a Ben her or Lawrence of Arabia. So that'll be that'd interesting. Be so fun.
0: It'll be. I'm not even really a huge Star Trek fan, but that'll be really interesting to see his take on a big blockbuster like that.
1: Well, if Star Trek will go R, because there's no way it's fuck. It's he's making a fucking PG thirteen.
0: That's yeah. Yeah, no that that does Star really Trek cool. needs
1: a bunch of f words and yes. a lot of blood.
0: <laughs> Absolutely necessary. It That's needs what, like to at him, least yeah. hundred f bombs.
1: Yeah, just like Pulp Fiction.
0: Yep, just pray to God no no N word. It's not necessary. <laughs> yeah. Tarantino. yeah, I
1: hope he has come to a point where he's like I don't need this anymore. Yeah, I
0: think I think we kind of wrapped up our thoughts already about yeah about the film. So. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it.
1: I mean, I'm excited to see what he's doing next, just because he's just so weird.
0: He's a very weird guy, very, very controversial, weird figure. But yeah, yeah. So are a lot of filmmakers. So you know. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, guys, thank you guys so much for listening. Check us out on Facebook at UW Film Club, on Instagram and Twitter at Film Club UW. And then you can check out our podcast at Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Woo! E. And then... I don't know what we're going to talk about next week.
1: Are we doing Fast and Furious?
0: Maybe. I feel like um.
1: Because we're always a week behind and, you know... <laughs> yeah. Hobbs and Shaw came out recently.
0: Did you see Hobbs and Shaw?
1: No. I... Alec has a review coming out of the film probably sometime next week. He's finished it. We're just editing it, and, like, I read bits of it. <laughs> he didn't like it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you have any intention of seeing it?
1: Oh, hell yeah.
0: You d- oh, okay. Okay. Because,
1: you know, we we do this podcast where we can, like, analyze films and shit uh, to the best of our ability which to some people is probably, like, they're barely talking and they're just talking out of their ass, but whatever. (laughs) Um, But, like, I just feel like, and this is why, I, even though I didn't really, like, this is kind of going off topic, but that's kind of why I like Tarantino films because sometimes they're just very surface level of, like, this is happening. And I I feel like Hobbs and Shaw is just going to be, like, this is what it is and it's going to be wild and just a fun time. because some movies are not fun times
0: Mm. yeah yeah once upon a time in hollywood is is a fun time though yeah i would recommend you seeing it in theaters yeah yeah and um yeah we'll figure out what we're doing next time that's right (laughs) thank you guys so much for listening catch you guys next week bye-bye